0: We're going to be in Acts chapter 20 this morning. You can turn there uh, in your copy of God's Word. We'll be looking at Acts chapter 20, focusing in this morning on verses 28 to 32 in just a moment. Just one uh, announcement that I want to re-emphasize to you in case you didn't catch it. In the video uh, this morning, and that is if you are uh, someone who is relatively new to our church, maybe you've just been attending for the last couple months, uh, we would love to invite you after the service today to room 510 uh, as we have some pizza planned and a couple of our pastoral ministry staff over there. uh, We're just going to be there to answer some questions you might have if you have those questions about the church. About our ministry here, and so we want to invite you to that. you didn't have to register for that. that's just something we would invite you to today. Uh, room five ten, you and your family. If your kids are with you, please plan on coming down there in room five ten after the service. want we'll to make sure I highlight that. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter twenty this morning. we're continuing on in a series on the church that we've entitled Ecclesia, uh, and uh, we are uh, just uh, focusing in this morning on the responsibility of leaders within the church, and uh, this is really an important message because it gives you as those that are congregants here at the church or whatever church you call home or are part of, an understanding of some of what the Word of God says is the responsibility of your leaders that are in the church. And so this is a, an opportunity not only to share what God's word says about leaders within the ministry, but also an opportunity then for you to take this to hold the leaders here at Maranatha or whatever church home you are a part of accountable uh, for how they are serving the Lord, how they are leading, and uh, if they are following the biblical commands that are present uh, for those that would call themselves leaders. And so we want to look at that this morning. So in Acts chapter 20, we're going to jump into verse 28. Verse 28. This is what we read. Pay pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This is Paul speaking here. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul is giving some parting words here uh, to the elders of the church, to those that would be caring for the flock of God as he would be leaving. And departing from them. If you continue on in reading in the passage, and we'll look at it in just a bit, Paul's going to remind these believers here that from this point forward, after this time that they have together comes to an end, they will no longer see his face. They will no longer physically be able to be with or see Paul because God was moving Paul in another area, another direction, and they, these believers, would no longer be apart part or see Paul physically this side of eternity and so Paul's writing, or Paul's speaking rather, to these leaders, to these elders. If you jump back in, in chapter 20 and verse 17, it says that Paul called for these elders of the church in Ephesus to come to him. He wanted to give them instructions, parting instructions for them as those that would be leading the church, those that would be leading the flock of God. And so he says specifically, pay careful attention. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. This was Paul's heart. Understand this. Uh, Paul cared deeply for these believers. He cared deeply for these leaders, for these elders that would be there at the church. And he is calling on them. He's pleading with them in his parting uh, pleading here with these believers that they would pay careful attention to themselves and their conduct. And how they are living and how they are leading and how they are responding, but also to all of the flock that they have been entrusted with, that God has put them in a position to be overseers towards. Now, I want all of us to understand that in some capacity, God has put you and I in a position to influence, in some capacity. And so the words that we're reading here, yes, specifically, Paul is giving this to the elders of the church, right? He's calling together the elders of the church in Ephesus, and he's telling them, this is what you need to do. This is the responsibility that you have before you. But as a believer in Christ, as a believer in Jesus Christ, every one of us are in a position of influence in some capacity today. You may be a parent who is in a position of influence over your children. You may be a teacher who's influence over your students. You may be a brother or sister that has younger siblings that you're in a position of influence. You may be in a position within your job where you have a position of influence. You just simply may be a good friend to someone that you are in a position of influence, a neighbor that you are in a position of influence, all of us are called by God in some capacity to influence those that are around us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it would be very good and important for all of us to take heed to the words that Paul is even giving to the elders here at the church at Ephesus to pay careful attention to yourselves And to anyone that God might have under your care. But specifically for the message this morning and in the context that's given in the passage that we're reading, these are some commands that are given to the elders, okay? And so we want to look at uh, really eight responsibilities of leaders this morning. Eight responsibilities of leaders, specifically responsibility of leaders within the church. Those that would put themselves or have been put into positions of leadership Within the church of God. Now, as is the case for any job that you might hold or position you might hold, there is somewhat of a job description or requirements for this particular position of leadership within the church. Uh, If you've ever applied for a job or if you are ever looking for a job, there's really two parts that you're looking at when you're applying for a job is you want to make sure that you have the qualifications. Right, that are required for that job and, and experience that would go along with that. And then you also want to make sure that the job that you're going to be going after is one that you want to do. And so there's the qualifications and there's the job. Now, you may desire a particular role or a particular job. Even as a kid, if you asked me what I want to do, I was going to be a professional baseball player. That was it, right? And some of you, if you're watching some of the contracts that people are signing, you're like, man, I should just go do that. You can't, okay? You, you, if you could, you would, right? But you can't. So it's one thing to want something, but it's another thing to actually be able to do it or be qualified to do it. When it comes to this position of leadership within the church, there are very specific requirements that are laid out in the word of God, both in Titus chapter one and First Timothy chapter three for those that would desire the position of elder or a leader within the church. And let me just read these to you. In Titus chapter one, Verses 5 to 9, Paul's writing and he says this, If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and to also rebuke those who contradict it. Paul says, if anyone desires the position of elder, if, <coughs> excuse me, if anyone desires this position of influence, these are the things that should be true of those individuals. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul reiterates this again. He said, this is a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. That's great if you desire to serve in his position of leadership. Therefore, an overseer must be, and he lists these qualifications again, above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. see, Paul lays out in both Timothy and Titus these qualifications or requirements to those that were going to serve within the church as overseers or elders, God holds the overseer, elder, the leader in very uh, high accountability for the position that they're serving in. You can read through this list, and really when you read through this list, these are character traits that are to be seen in the lives of those that are in positions of leadership within the church, specifically serving as elders within the church, because God held a very and does hold a high standard for those leaders. Now, let me just clarify something for you. You can read this list and say, man, like, you have to be perfect. No no one is perfect, and I can guarantee you that those men that serve as elders here at of Bible Church, there are areas of struggle, there are areas of temptation, there are areas of sin that as elders we must confess, that we must confess before God. But what God lays out in his word as these qualifications or qualities, these are character traits and qualities that are true of those that are serving in this capacity. This does not mean that leaders are perfect. That every single one of these things, they perfectly do and perfectly keep. No, there's forgiveness when we fail because we will as those that have been bought by the blood of Christ. But these are traits that are true, generally true of these that would be leaders within the ministry in the body of Christ. That's why when we uh, are going to put up anyone as a nominated person for, to be an elder, we ask the congregation, if you've been part of our church for any amount of time, you know we do this, if someone is being considered to be an elder within the church, within the body, we present that person to the congregation, to all of the body, and we ask the congregation that if there's any reason That anyone within the ministry that knows that individual feels they do not meet the qualifications listed. That we want to be aware of that as elders, as leaders, so that we can follow up. Because we do not want to put someone in a position of leadership within the church that is not qualified to be there. And so if you've been here, you've heard us do that. We do that not because it's a popularity contest or because we want someone to give us all the dirt on someone, we do that because we want to make sure that the qualifications are being met. And if there's a reason that you as congregants would say that person does not meet those qualifications, we need to be aware of that. And we would follow up and investigate that. But Paul takes this very seriously. God takes this very seriously. And here's what's amazing about this is that when you read these qualifications that Paul lists, it becomes to be a little bit clearer as to why those are so important when we begin to look at the responsibilities that these leaders are going to share in. It becomes very apparent and understandable why you need to have these qualifications present in those that would serve when you begin to look at some of the responsibilities that are there. When you begin to understand what it's going to, be, what go what is going to be done by those that are in this position of leadership. It's the same again if we go back to the understanding of when you're applying for any job and there's qualifications and there's a skill set that's needed for that job. You can find yourself in a position as a job or in a position that you are hired for and if you don't have that skill set or qualifications you will be lost. You're not going to be able to do it. Uh, that's why that's so necessary and so important. Well the same is true for leaders within the body. So let's look at these responsibilities together. Number one, it's the responsibility of the leaders that are shepherding the flock to lead. This really could go without saying. The word itself, to be a leader, holds with it this understanding that there should be leadership happening. But it's the responsibility of the shepherds of the flock to lead. Paul references them as overseers. Overseers. Now, if you jump back in Acts chapter 20 to verses 17 to 27... And you read that there, you read that Paul calls for the elders of the church to come to him, and when they come to him, Paul begins to list how it was that he led them. Paul begins to share his personal account of his life before these elders, before these leaders. Look at what he says, verse 17, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Listen to what Paul says here. Paul calls for the leaders, and here's what he does. He's about to give them instruction on what they are to do, right? He's about to give them instruction of what their responsibilities are. But as he begins to bridge that and go into that, he begins by saying, listen, come here. Everybody gather together. Listen to me. You know how I lived before you. From the entire moment that you met me till now, you know how I have lived before you. When I set foot in Asia, you know how I lived before you. Look what he says, verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Paul says, you know what what, what you saw from me, that I came and that I served and that I persevered through tears and trials and struggles, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Paul's saying. Listen, you know how I've lived before you. I've persevered before you. I've served you. I've taught you. I've proclaimed God's word to you. I've withheld nothing from you that was profitable for you, he says. Paul's leading them. He led them well. He led by example. Some of you know someone that comes to your mind when I ask, who do you know that is an excellent leader? Right away, some of you have someone that has come to your mind. Maybe it was a coach Maybe it was a team leader for a project that you had to do at work. Maybe it is a particular professor or teacher you had in school. Maybe it is one of your parents that led you well or another person who had great influence in your life. But if I say, hey, I want you to think of someone who was a great leader for you, a great leader in your life, chances are that person makes that list or fills that spot in your head because they led by example for you. They didn't just say what they thought, they showed it in their actions. They lived it. Uh, one of the greatest things that I love hearing from my youngest daughter, Leah right now is, is Leah always tells me that I'm her hero. And as a dad, when you hear that, you're like, say it again, honey. Like, you like, to, you like to hear that again and again. Well, she had this special day at preschool when they sang this song, and, and they sang the song, that, and, and part of the song says that you're my hero in my eyes, is what it says about dads. Like, Daddy, you're my hero in my eyes. And so that was months ago. And so now, Leah all the time will say, you know, Daddy, you're my hero in my eyes. That's what she always says. And so we got to church today, and uh, she is in the back, and she's buckled into her her, um, car seat, and she does this thing that whenever we get anywhere where she comes up into the front seat after the car's parked and everybody's safe, she comes up into the front seat, climbs up there because she wants to come out one of the front doors instead of going out the back door. And so I'm always like, honey, just go out the back door. So now, whenever we stop the car, park, seatbelts come off after the car's parked, everybody's safe don't want to get any emails about that. You shouldn't do that when your car's moving. And so she then gets out of her car seat and she comes up front. And I go, honey, I said, why are you coming up front? And she'll go, because daddy, I want to go out the same door that you go out because you're the hero in my eyes. And I'm like, girl, get up here and come on out this door when she comes. Because now she comes up and I'm like, that's, that's something as a dad, like you want to hear. And so as long as that keeps happening, she can keep coming through that door, right? But but it makes me think, I think about this often when I hear this from my daughter or when I look at my, my other girls and I look at them and how they watch me and look at me, I think, man, like it is a high calling and responsibility I have as a dad to, to be living in such a way that, that invites their admiration and their respect and their trust, right? I mean, think of that. Some of you are in positions of influence or positions where you're responsible for someone and, and, and you're quote-unquote over them in some capacity, whether at, at work or in your home or at your job, wherever it may be, and I wonder what kind of example are you setting as you seek to lead those under your care? It's the responsibility of shepherds, of, of elders within the body of Christ to care for, pay attention to the flock. And one way that very clearly leaders are to do this is by leading well. Paul sets himself up as this example when he says, you know how I've led before you. You watched, you saw. Everything that I did from the very first day that you met me showed, evidenced, that I cared for you, that I wanted and desired to lead you well. And that's a responsibility that leaders within the flock have even today, to lead the flock, to lead them well. And so my hope as one of the elders here at Maranatha, and I know the hope of of all of our elders would be that when others watch and see our conduct, our conversation, our leadership, that it points to Christ, who ultimately is our example Jesus himself modeling by example all that he would ask others to follow. Paul did the same, so to lead. Secondly, to teach. It's the responsibility of leaders to teach. If you remember back to the qualifications that were given in 1 Timothy and in Titus, in Timothy, uh, it says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. He's speaking to Timothy, who's a young pastor. He says, "I, I charge you, Timothy, who's a young pastor, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead and by his appearing in kingdom, preach the word. Timothy, as a pastor, was challenged by Paul, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience in teaching. Teach the word. It's the responsibility of, of the elders within the body of Christ, of those that are leading within the body of Christ, to effectively teach and communicate the word of God. Paul would emphasize this as well. In in Acts chapter 20, in the passage that we already read, beginning at verse 27, after he tells them to pay uh, careful uh, attention to his life, he then now calls on them to pay careful attention to themselves and to the flock. And he says, remember what I did. Verse 27, I proclaimed, I taught to you, I declared to you the entire counsel of God. I wanted you to know all about it. I wanted you to know what God's word says. We need to be willing, able, ready to teach. And he would call on Timothy as a pastor, the same thing. Be ready, Timothy. Preach the word. Always be ready to give the teaching and proclamation of the word of God as necessary in your ministry. And In 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you read that passage, 2 Timothy 4 verses 1 through 5, read through it. Paul calls on Timothy as this young pastor, always at all times ready to preach the word in season, out of season, whenever it's convenient, whenever it's not convenient, be ready to preach and teach God's word. And listen, there's a real danger if you are a part of a church or any ministry where the words of the leaders hold more authority in their own eyes or in the eyes of the church than the word of God. That's a problem. That's a problem. There are plenty of ministries that are claiming to be of God, that are claiming to be honoring to Christ, where what is being taught is contrary to the clear teaching and instruction of the Word of God. And what happens in those cases is the leaders, quote unquote, put themselves into the authority and position of even God as they teach things that are contrary to the things of God. It's the responsibility of the elders, of the shepherds, of the flock of God to teach and communicate the word of God so that those that are present might receive it, follow it, apply it, and live it. Teach. Paul did this, and he would call upon those in the church to do this as well. Number three, protect. It's the responsibility of leaders to protect the flock of God. It's the responsibility of leaders to call out false teaching, false doctrine, that which would be taught, that would be contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the responsibility of leaders to do that. That's one of the reasons why there are certain songs that we don't sing in our church. There are certain songs that may be very popular that are being sung in many churches across the nation that our elders have chosen not to sing, Because doctrinally, there would be problems with it. It's the responsibility of leaders to protect the doctrine of the church. It's the responsibility of the leaders of the elders within the ministry to protect the sheep, to protect the people in the church. This is something very clearly that Paul had a concern about as he was calling on the elders from the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. He says, I know after my departure, verse 29... Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisting things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Listen to what Paul says here. Paul says, listen, there are going to arise wolves within the body, within the flock, That are going to seek to destroy the flock, that are going to be teaching things that are false. He says, This is why I have labored. And look at what he says here about his laboring. He says, I have labored, and he says, Day and night, night and day, verse 31. This is why out of this desire to be alert, out of the desire to warn you, out of the desire to lead you, instruct you, to bring you along day and night through tears that I kept you before God, that I commended you to God, that I taught you the word of God. Listen, if you're a believer in Christ today, you need to be aware, you need to have your eyes opened that there are a lot of false doctrines being taught in the world we live in today. There are many false truths that are being proclaimed. There are many things that are being taught today that are contrary to what the Word of God says. And we as believers in Christ need to wake up to this. God's word is not a buffet line that we come and pick and choose what we want and what we don't want. God's word is truth. And so often in the society and culture we find ourselves living in today, there's this prominent attitude that we can approach the word of God and what we like, we put on our plate and what we don't, we just kind of leave there. That's not how God's word works. God's word is truth. And there are some things that when you read God's word, might be a little bit like offensive or touchy depending on how you're living. There are some things that when we read God's word that in our culture, in society, we might say, is that really the case? Does God really want us to do that? Does God really say that? And yes, he does. And today there's a prominent attitude among so many believers in Christ Sadly, so many believers and many believers that are in the spotlight or limelight that have a lot of people following them that the Word of God is truth for those that believe it's truth. But if you believe something else, you're okay. There's many people who believe the Word of God is truth as long as it's convenient. And it's the responsibility of the shepherds, of the elders, of the leaders within the church to protect the flock of God from false teaching that Paul said and Jesus warned would come into the church. It remains just as true today as it did then that Jesus Christ will be an offense, that the gospel will be an offense, that the Word of God will be an offense. And so we must protect the flock from the false teaching that is so prevalent in the world in which we live. In 1 John chapter 4, John would say, Dear friends, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test the spirits. Don't believe every spirit. In Titus 1, when it speaks about an elder being blameless, it speaks about the necessity of an elder as well being able to teach. It speaks about the elders that are in the church being able to teach and not novices or new believers so that they can defend the word of God, so that they can defend and protect the flock from the false teaching that is so prevalent and that will come into the church. It's the responsibility of the elders, leaders to protect the flock of God, to keep watch, to be vigilant over it. That's why the men that serve on this board as elders within this ministry take so seriously the word of God, the teaching and proclamation of the word of God. And so it's a responsibility to protect. Number four, it's a responsibility to correct. And this is hard. This is hard sometimes. It's hard sometimes to correct, isn't it? Uh, If you're in a position of leadership or care for someone, you know how hard it is to correct. You know how hard it is to have that conversation when you need to share with someone something that you know they're probably not gonna wanna hear. And yet it's the responsibility of leaders within the church to correct those that need corrected. Paul said in verse 32 of chapter 20, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul says, I'm commending you to God into the word of his grace, there's a heavy responsibility that these elders, these leaders would have on their shoulders. Not just to protect, but to correct. Paul would have to do that with Peter. Where he would call out Peter to his face. Because Peter needed corrected. He would charge Timothy with this same challenge as a pastor. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, I charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus Preach the word, be ready in season, out of season. And this is what he says reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. He would call on Timothy as a young pastor that he would be ready to teach, but to reprove, to rebu- rebuke, to exhort, and to do so with patience and teaching, he says. It's the responsibility of leaders to correct. We've had to do that many times within this church, within this body, and sometimes the response that is given to correction is not what would be desired. And yet how great it is when there's correction that is needed, there's teaching that is needed, and the response is that which would be honoring and glorifying to God. This is a heavy responsibility that leaders have. It's a heavy responsibility you have over those that are in your life that you're seeking to lead, that you're seeking to lead well. Number five, serve. Shepherd the flock of God Number five, by serving. Again, this is something that so often is so foreign to the world's thinking when it comes to people in positions of leadership. The world's thinking is that if you're in a position of leadership, then others serve you, right? If you're in a position of influence or, or position of leadership, the farthest thing a lot of times from our minds is, how can I serve those that are under me or that I'm leading? And yet... Isn't that the example Jesus set for us and really the command that Jesus gave? And in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28, Jesus is speaking and he says this You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. He says, listen, you are familiar with those that are in positions of leadership and power. Those that are in positions of leadership and power, they hold on to that leadership and power, and they use it over those that are under them, and lay. they let them know, hey, you're under me. We we lord it over you. We are making clear something abundantly clear. I don't serve you, you serve me. But this is what Jesus said: it shall not be so among you. That's not the case for you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus set the example of servant leadership, and he calls on leaders to follow that example, to serve well. In Acts chapter 20, the passage before us this morning in verses 32 to 35, Paul reiterates again how before these believers, Paul asked nothing from them. He required nothing from their hands. He didn't desire any kind of propping up on their part for him. Instead, he served them. He put himself into a position of servant leadership. He put himself into a position where he was responsible for his own needs, for all that he had in need of, and he wanted to serve them well. Jesus has called us to that. Paul set that tone and example. Jesus set that tone and example. And that's something that the leaders within any ministry or church should be setting the example of as well. Listen, it is a red flag. It is a red flag. It is a problem when leaders within the church refuse to serve. That's a problem. That should be a red flag. Because that's not what the example that Christ set would have us to follow. We should be willing to serve. Those that would be great among you, let them be servants among you, sir. Number six, equip, equip. Again, Paul uses himself as the example in Acts chapter 20. He starts off his conversation with these elders in Ephesus back in verses 17 and 18 by recalling to their memory his service to them. He's recalling to their memory his service, and in doing so, Paul's making something abundantly clear. Paul did what he did and served how he served because he wanted to equip these leaders to do the same. It's the responsibility of leaders to equip those that are under their care to do the work of the ministry. It's the responsibility of elders and leaders to equip those that are under their care. In Ephesians chapter 4, Verses 11 through 16, Paul lays out that God has appointed some within the church to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. My responsibility as a leader within the body of Christ is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That is a responsibility and calling that leaders have within the body of Christ to equip, to give and to teach what is needed so that the body of Christ, collectively the body of Christ, individually the members of it can serve one another and carry out the work that God has called us to carry out, to equip. Number seven, it's the responsibility of the elders and leaders to pray. To pray. I want to encourage you, Uh, to if you have specific prayer requests. We do this quite often and we ask this quite often. If you have specific prayer requests of how you want our leaders, our pastoral ministry staff, the elders of our church to pray, submit prayer requests through our online uh, contact form. You can do that on our website. Submit prayer requests through social media platforms that you can contact us and let us know how we can pray for you. Many of you do that every week and we pray for you every week when you submit those requests. Every Tuesday morning from 8 o'clock till 9 o'clock, our ministry staff meets in our office and we pray. We pray for the body of Christ here at Maranatha. We pray specifically for any requests that have been submitted to us. We pray for you by name. Uh, Pastor Butch passes out pages of our directory every Tuesday with the names. And if you have pictures, pictures of every single person within our church. And we work through our directory all year long, praying specifically for every person who attends Maranatha Bible Church by name. We do that all throughout the year. Once a year, we have a day of prayer where we uh, leave the office and we take our director. We go through and we pray for every person within our ministry. And we pray for your families, for your kids, for you. We pray for you. Some people don't know about this passage, but in James chapter 5, James chapter 5, James says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Some people don't know we do this, but as elders, we pray over those that are sick. We anoint them with oil and pray for them if I ask us to do that. Many of you don't know we do that. We do that. We do that quite regularly. Folks within the ministry who have serious sickness or illnesses. Folks within the the ministry who have serious health issues. And they'll call and they'll ask us as elders to anoint them with oil and pray over them. We do that quite consistently as elders here at Maranatha. We continue that practice because God calls us to do that. We understand in doing that that there's nothing special about the oil that is used and there's nothing that we can command God to do and we cannot command God to heal. But in faith, we pray asking God to heal. And praise God, we've seen many instances where he has done just that. Reports that have come back from folks that we've anointed with oil and prayed and they say, hey, listen, I got to tell you, the doctor doesn't know what to say or what to do because God has healed me of whatever sickness or ailment they had. He doesn't always do that. We can't command God what to do, but we're commanded to pray, and so we do. It's a responsibility we have as shepherds of the flock, as elders, to do that. And number eight, we gotta go quickly here. It's the responsibility of the shepherds to love. To love, and what goes with that love is the care, the commitment of the flock of God that's entrusted to us. In Acts chapter 20, in verse 31, Paul says this, Be alert, remembering for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone, look what he says, with tears. Paul had a great love for the church. He had a great love for those that God had entrusted to him. If you look at the conclusion of this chapter, we read that Paul would pray with those that were with him. There was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, knowing they would see him no more. There was great love between the body of Christ here. Love on the part of Paul towards them and on the part of them towards God. Love should be something that would mark every one of us as a believer, not just as leaders, but as members of the body of Christ. And how much more magnified should that be for those that are shepherding the flock under their care to genuinely, truthfully, with the same love that Christ has loved us, love those that God has entrusted to our care. In John chapter 10, Jesus uses himself as the example of the ultimate good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Christ again setting the example of what it means to shepherd the flock of God as the good shepherd. Laying down his own life. Caring, loving, praying, teaching, serving, leading as the good shepherd. He's the example that any shepherd, any leader of the flock of God should follow. These are the responsibilities of those that would serve in the church as leaders. These are the responsibilities of those that would shepherd the flock of God, to lead, to teach, to protect, to correct when necessary, to serve, to equip, to pray, to love. And you, as those that attend Maranatha Bible Church or whatever church you attend, that's your church home, have the responsibility to keep us accountable to these things to keep us accountable to the word of God to keep us accountable to the faithful service that God has called us to to be careful that we are following and committed first and foremost to the word of God to the truth of the word of God because that is where all of these other responsibilities will flow from to lead and shepherd the flock that is among us. I hope that's encouraging for you, that you would see that in your leaders. I hope that whatever church God has called you to be a part of, whether Maranatha or another church, the leaders that are there are leading and will lead you well, following the example of Christ, serving, making much of Christ and not themselves, because we're not called to make much of ourselves. We're called to make much of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for the instruction of your word, and God, for what we can see is necessary and required of those that would lead within the church. I pray that you would help us as elders and leaders at Maranatha to do these things well, that we would lead well, God, as we shepherd the flock of God, that we would teach your word unapologetically, that we'd preach the word and always be ready to do that that we would correct where correction is needed, that we would protect, Lord, where protection is needed, that we would serve, that we would pray, that we would love. God, I pray that we would do all these things to make much of the name of Jesus, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that you are glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.